0: Trust issues. We all have them. Where do they come from? And how do we overcome them? In this series, Trust Issues, we will learn how to thrive when it comes to our future, finances, loved ones, and relationships. All right, how's everybody doing, City First? Come on, let me hear ya. You. you in the house today? Yeah? And if you're joining us online, we love you very much. I want to say hello to our Cape Coral location. Come on, let's give a round of applause to Southwest Florida. God behind bars. Come on, give it up for them. Everyone here is Spring Creek in the State Line location. And again, everybody online, we love you. Whether you're joining us here in the Midwest, Southwest Florida, anywhere in the nation or even around the world. And we just love you very much. Thank you for being a part of City first. Now, before I jump into today's message, allow me to share with you something exciting that is taking place in just a few weeks. In fact, we do this every single year. It's our annual end-of-year offering called Legacy Offering, and I'm introducing it because I want us to begin to pray and to begin to ask God what we can do individually. And, and we do this offering for two reasons, all right? I, I explain this every year, but I want to make sure for those of us that are new, who want to participate with it, you understand why we do it. The first reason is this, is that we give our first and our best gift of Christmas To Jesus to help calibrate our hearts to the real reason for the season. How many of you know that Christmas over the decades and the centuries has become super commercialized? But the real reason we celebrate Christmas is because we remember this is when Jesus was given to us as a gift. And so God so loved the world that He gave his son to us, a generous God who gave us the ability to have relationship with him. And so the very first reason we receive this offering is to calibrate our hearts and give our first and best gift of Christmas back to God. The second reason is to help people in need during the holidays. In fact, uh, your church, City First, we as a church are very generous 365 days a year, but you know what? There's something that happens during the holidays, during Thanksgiving and Christmas, where there is a heightened need. And I will even tell you in 2020 that heightened need has even gone even higher. There are many people that are in need of food. There are children that are in need of gifts. In fact, let me tell you something. We're going to do over the Thanksgiving holiday that we as a church are supplying. 1500 meals to homeless people in the Rockford area during Thanksgiving. And you know what? You don't, even, you don't even have to give to that. You know why? You already gave to it. And because you already gave and you were generous, we're able to do that. But there's more need during Christmas. And what we want to do is provide thousands of presents to children who do not have the ability to have Christmas. We want to help people that are immunocompromised. We want to help the elderly. We want to bless families that need blessing. And so for that to happen, we need to have this over and above offering that we call legacy. So we give because we're generous. But then secondly, we give because people are in need and legacy is an over and above offering. In fact, what you normally give, just keep giving that. But then for legacy, we ask you to give a little bit more and everybody can do that. Everybody can do something. You know, give the equivalent of a few lattes, all right, that you would normally spend that week instead, give it so that we could help people. And so what we do is on December 6th and December 13th, we receive a second offering, which is an over and above offering. We do it every year called Legacy. And uh, the reason we do it two weekends is because people's pay periods are a little bit different. And so one weekend may work better than the other. And, and you know what? This is what I love about this church. Generosity is in our DNA. When this church began 90 plus years ago, it began smack dab in in the middle of the Great Depression. If there was ever a logical time not to launch a church, it would have been during that season. And instead, there were people that gathered together and they didn't allow the circumstances of their day to dictate their generosity. And we are here today because of that. So in the same way, I realized we're in the middle of COVID. We're in the middle of this crisis. We're in the middle of 2020, which is weird. And, you know, there was a part of me as your pastor, I'm going to just be honest, I, I wanted to say, well, let's lower the bar a little bit. Let's do a little bit less in our communities because, again, it's, it, it's 2020. And, and, you know, I realize people may not give as much. And I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. It was like, no, no, no. You're allowing, Jeremy, you, the circumstances to dictate your faith. And so what I decided to do is I decided as a church, we're going to even try to do more than we did last year. That when we are in a crisis, this is when faith needs to rise up, when generosity needs to rise up. In fact, I say this all the time. I say that we are going to get through this crisis together, through faith, with generosity. And so be praying about December 6th and December 13th and what you, you can do. And again, this is obviously voluntary. It's something that we just want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And for those of us that were are listening and God wants us to do something, let's be people of generosity and let's make a huge difference in thousands of people's lives this holiday season. All right. All right. If you believe that God wants us to do great things this holiday season during the Christmas and the Thanksgiving season, come on, give God a round of applause. Can we do that? <clears throat> Today we are continuing a sermon series that I'm calling Trust Issues, all right? And uh, last week, you know, we talked a little bit about the fact that that you know many times when God is doing a genuine work in a church that what then happens is the enemy creates these counterfeit works, these counterfeit chapels and many times we try to put our trust in something that really cannot be our source but we think can be our source. So we talked about these counterfeit chapels and little g gods. If you weren't able to watch last week's service go to our app or go online and watch it because I think it really was a meaningful message for our uh, circumstances today, you could say, in America and in our culture. And, and you know, really the point that I really wanted to drive home is this, that Jesus is our only source. In fact, this is what he says in John 14, 6 about himself, all right? He says, I am the only way to God, the real truth, and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus says. little over five years ago, I did something that was incredibly stretching, to me at least. It may not be to you, but to me, this was one of those moments that I kind of had to step out of the boat and try to walk on water, go out to the edge of the limb, whatever metaphor you want to use. I decided, I had this crazy idea that I wanted to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, all right? And this is one of the seven summits that climbers from around the world attempt to to climb. And, uh, and I had this thought. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to film this experience of me climbing up Kilimanjaro and a, a team and myself. And what we would do is we would make it into a life group series here at City First. And so we decided this would be a good idea. And so three other staff, along with myself, began to train multiple times a week in 2014 to get physically ready to try to go up 19,341 feet. And uh, finally, the time came, and we flew to Tanzania and to start our trek up the highest freestanding mountain in the world. And, uh, you know, when I first saw it, I'm I'm at the the base of this mountain that's in the middle of plains, and, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm thinking, what in the world did I get myself into? Because here is a moment of truthfulness. I've never been a climber. All right? I've never, like, I've told people, I'm like, yeah, you know, I attempted to climb Kilimanjaro, and they're like, oh, do you climb? I'm like, no, I don't, actually. I don't climb at all. In fact, I've never been a climber. The highest I had ever been on a mountain was a little under 10,000 feet out in Colorado, and I drove a car up to the top, all right? So, you know, this was a stretch for me. I know that some people, like, live the climbing life. I just like to wear Patagonia clothing, all right? So, This is not something that I do. And so we were all a little bit nervous. We trained for a year. We get there. And the week before we arrived in Tanzania, a famous TED Talk presenter had died on Mount Kilimanjaro in an avalanche just days before we arrived. So trust me, this was something where I'm like, what did I get myself into it would take a little over five days to get to the top, and, um, and so we decided to, to do this. We, we get to the, you know, to the beginning of the trailhead, and we start just putting one foot in front of the other, and we start making our way to the top. Day after day after day, the air is getting thinner. Finally, we get to about 15,000 feet, and uh, the air is really thin at that point, and I began to become very sick. I mean, like, real sick. Like, you know, I got this altitude sickness, which is when your body doesn't get enough oxygen. You start getting dizzy. You start getting nauseous. You even can get kind of catatonic. And one of the dangerous things about altitude sickness is, if you get to high altitudes, you don't realize it, but your lungs can start filling up with fluids. You can get pneumonia. You could actually die. I mean, a, a friend of mine had a friend who was going up Kili that that exact thing happened. And he spent six weeks in a Kenyan hospital trying to recover. So I'm like, Super sick. It's 15,000 feet. I have the splitting headache. Not to be graphic, I'm throwing up nonstop. I mean, like one time, I think I threw up like nine times in a row. I'm dizzy. I could barely walk. I don't want anybody to touch me. I'm laying in my tent and I'm feeling super anxious about what I have gotten myself into. And uh, again, we're at 15,000 feet, and I was told that helicopters in that region, um, they, are, they have the technology or the ability to only go up to 13,000 feet. So there's no way that I could get medevaced off the mountain at this point. I'm too far up the mountain, and yet I'm still more than a day's hike away, 4,300 feet short of the summit, and I had this profound sense of claustrophobia, like I felt, I felt literally trapped. Like, I couldn't keep going. I didn't want to move. Every time I moved, I was nauseous. Um, I couldn't get rescued. Uh, Even if I could, I mean, how much was that going to cost, you know? And this whole trip hinged on me getting to the top. Like, we had trained, and we had brought all this camera equipment, and we were filming, and now I'm on the side of this mountain, and I'm paralyzed, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I can make this. I don't know if I could do it. I felt so sick. I started having anxiety attacks, literally, on the side of the mountain. And I thought, oh, this is going to be really exciting. Like, here's a life group video, City First. Come watch Pastor Jeremy die on a mountain. This is awesome. You know, and I'm feeling this pressure to keep going, but my body is going no way. And at that moment, I remember feeling so paralyzed. And, you know, thinking about it, thinking back to that moment, I thought, you know what, that's really a metaphor of what happens in a lot of our lives a lot of the times. when We're climbing up the mountain of life, and you know what, you get to a place where you get paralyzed, you encounter some sort of an opposition that makes you feel like you can't go forward. In fact, the Bible many times uses mountains as metaphors. Of, like, the mountain of God, Mount Zion, if you ever heard of anything like that. Well, it's a metaphor of climbing, in a sense, through life with God, getting closer and closer to the summit. You know, there's challenges and things like that. And as you steadily are going up the mountain of God, you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, but it's not easy. Sometimes you encounter hardship. Sometimes you feel like you're closer to him than other times. The Bible is full of all these metaphors. And then in life, as we're climbing the mountain of life, sometimes something disrupts our climb. Something unexpected happens like a sickness. You know, I've talked to multiple people this week, even people that are very up close to me. And in the last, oh, weeks, months, this year, they've encountered a sickness, something that came out of the blue, something that disrupted their climb, and now they feel paralyzed. Or maybe it's not a sickness, maybe it's a relationship issue. I can't tell you how many Couples I either hear of or have talked to that their marriages are struggling that their 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 families are coming apart at the seams that something has been going on this year that has thrown them you could say a curveball or has stopped them on the mountain and they feel paralyzed, maybe it's something financial for you. Maybe there was a real disruption in your finances. Maybe a real disruption in your job. You found out they're closing the plant next year, and you're wondering what's going to happen in my career. Maybe the disruption is this, 2020, <laughs> right? I mean, this, this this decade-long year called 2020, that feels like, oh, thank God Christmas is coming because it's like 2020 is almost over then. Whatever it is, you feel paralyzed, you feel full of fear. And yet you're too up, like high up the mountain. You're you're too far up the mountain to be rescued out of your own human effort. Or someone else can't rescue you. And you feel helpless and trapped in your circumstances. All of us have experienced something like this. And can I tell you something? We will experience it multiple times in our life. So in moments like this, when you've exhausted all your resources, that's when a lot of people begin to trust God. It, it, it becomes a 9 one prayer. Uh, God, I know we haven't talked for like, oh, a year or so, but now I have this disruption on the mountain and I need your help. Will you rescue me? And again, listen, If you have 911 prayers, if you prayed 911 prayers, that's okay. God's just happy to hear your voice. Do you hear that? Okay. So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that, but I will tell you there are three ways that we will trust God. Three. You ready? Here they are. Number one is desperation. Through a desperation, we'll trust him. Number two is deliberation. Number three is revelation. I'm going to dissect those. Number one, Del- the, the desperation of, of trusting God. Many times you run to God when you're in trouble, you're trapped, you've exhausted all your resources, there's no other options, you're at wit's end, you're at the bottom rung of your ladder, whatever you want to say, you've exhausted every other option and what you thought could deliver you, whatever little counterfeit chapel the enemy has told you can deliver you, all of a sudden doesn't deliver And you find yourself in a place where money can't fix your problems, where vices can't numb your problems, where intellect can't get you out of your problems, where other people can't come and medevac you off of that mountain. And you find yourself in a place of desperation. Second way is this, is through deliberation. Deliberation is when you trust God to the extent that you can logically figure out how he's going to rescue you. In other words, you've already figured it out. God is going to do this, this, and this, and that's how I'm going to get out of this problem. Now, we do this many times. We, we do this all the time in church. We do this all the time as even Christians. We figure out how God is going to answer our prayers according to our expectations. And that, you know what, we will trust Jesus based on our understanding, based on our understanding. Let me say it one more time. We trust Jesus based on our understanding of how he will work within the context of our circumstances. That is a way of deliberation faith, that we will trust him through deliberation. And and, and this is what I know, though. There's some interruptions that come on the mountain of life that you can't logically figure out how God's going to get you out of that situation, right? And then the third way, which I would say is the best way, is through revelation. Revelation is an eye opening discovery. I would say this Revelation is when you don't just know something up here in the cerebral part of your life, but also right here in the conviction in the heart part of your life. Does that make sense? Like you understand it, you get it. There's a revelation. There's, there's an ex, not just an experience, there's not just a belief, but there is a revelation type of trust. And so it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, listen to this. Trust God from the bottom of your heart, not the bottom of your head, the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Now, I could just say amen and dismiss right there. Right? Listen, some of us need to hear that. Some of you watching online right now. Okay, some of us in the house, whatever location we're at, let's quit trying to figure it out on our own. That's not a revelation-type faith or a revelation-type trust. But rather, listen for God's voice in everything you do, wherever you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run to God. Yeah, give that a round of applause. Run to God. The only one that can truly rescue you when you've been stalled out on the mountain of life. See, here we we realize we need to run to God. We need to listen to his voice. We need to navigate the paralyzing circumstances based upon him as our guide, you could say. Revelation comes through hearing. Okay, let me say it again. Revelation comes through hearing. How do we experience a revelation-type trust in God? By taking in the Word of God, by taking in the Word of God, the Bible. In fact, your ability to trust in God is in direct proportion to what you know about His Word. That's really a powerful statement. That is like drop-the-mic kind of statement because that's really true. To the degree that we understand the Word of God is the degree that we can trust God. Because otherwise, we're trusting things like our feelings, our emotions, our circumstances, what other people say. In fact, it says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith, which you could say is trust, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There are times in life that your feelings or your logic cannot get you out of the challenges that you are facing right now. Do you hear that? You just, you just cannot get out of it through feelings or logic. In fact, you have to decide if you are going to trust God based upon his word, what he says. Is he trustworthy? Does he speak truth? Does he lie? You see, You have to decide, are you going to trust the resource or are you going to trust the source? See, money is just a resource. You know what? Relationships are just a resource. Intellect, your intellect is just a resource. Your abilities, just a resource. Let me give you a good example of this. Like if there was a man who had an empty pitcher of water and he went down to a river and he filled it up. And he filled it up with water, and he brought it back to his house. And he goes, okay, so I now have this pitcher full of water that I could use, that I could drink from, that I could cook with, whatever, okay? And, and this is the thing. If this, man, if this man only thought that this resource was his supply, the limited amount of water that was in his pitcher, if that's all he imagined he had, then he is going to be very careful how much he uses it. He's going to pour out that water very sparingly. In fact, every time he pours out the water, his supply is jeopardized and his amount is diminished. You hear what I'm saying? Because his trust is in the resource. His trust is in the resource. This is how many people live. And I would even say, and I'm again, you might say, Jeremy, you sound a little judgy by saying this. Maybe I am. I don't know exactly, but I will tell you, I think even most Christians think this way, that they trust the resource. They look at how much is in their bank account, and this they look at as their supply. They look at, you know, this is only how much money I have, so therefore I'm going to be very sparing how much I give away, how generous I am, how much I use. Now listen, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a budget. I'm not saying you shouldn't, like, you have money management. I'm not saying that, but this is the thing. If your trust is in the amount of money, how many dollars and cents and Benjamins you have in your bank account, then you are trusting the resource, not the source. You know, another thing is is like, uh, let's say with relationships. If your trust is in the limited capacity of a person, a human person, limited in capacity, then you're going to be very, very careful because you know what? That person has limitations. And anytime time that relationship gets shaky, you become super possessive. You start... You know, freaking out a little bit because you start thinking, well, if this person who has limited capacity, if this person is my source, then you know what? Uh, you live in a lot of fear. You live in a lot of fear. How about this one? Your abilities. You have a limited amount of abilities, right? And if your trust, is in your abilities, and you think your abilities are the supply. Guess what? You're going to find yourself freaking out when you ever encounter problems on the mountain that are bigger than your abilities. What this man needs to understand is that the pitcher and what is in it is only his resource. The real source is the river. You go back to the river, he has to make his way back to the river to the endless resource, the endless supply, the endless source, which is Jesus himself. You know, Proverbs 3, 7, run to God, not run to your bank account, not run to that person, not run to your own abilities. Not run to your boss or your career or the place that you work, but rather instead realize those are blessings. There's nothing wrong with them. They're blessings, but they are only the resource. They are not the source. Does that make sense? It says in Philippians 4.19, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His riches, according to the riches, excuse me, of His glory in what? In your bank account. No. The riches of His glory in your abilities. The riches of His glory in your job. The riches of His glory in your spouse. No. It says the riches of His glory in what? Christ Jesus. Jesus is the source. Those other things are not bad. But those other things... They will come to an end in the sense of there is a limitation to what they can do for you. And you will find that they will be at the end of their ability to help you. And at that point, you need to trust God. You'll do it out of desperation, deliberation, or revelation. You see, don't look to resources to give you only what the source can give you. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? If you look to resources, there'll be a day that you're stuck on the mountain of life, paralyzed, full of fear, realizing that nothing in your picture is going to be able to rescue you. I would even say it this way. The size of your source determines the size of your life. (laughs) I could preach. (laughs) I wish I had. I, I could actually do a sermon just on that, to be real honest with you. Because this is the thing. You can only dream as big as your source. If your dream is only the size of your bank account, then this is the size of your dream. If your dream is only the size of the capacity of that other person to meet your needs, then this is the size of your life. You see, we got to realize that our resource is a blessing, but our resource is not the size of our life or our dream. Our life and our dream is the size of our source, which is the river which is Jesus, the one that could supply all of our needs. Does that make sense? Just like that verse said, you cannot dream any higher than the source you are trusting to supply all your needs.
1: So there I was.
0: I was stuck on Mount Kilimanjaro <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. And, and uh, I had a guide. Uh, our team, our, our little crew had a guide. His name was Ola. And this is a picture of Ola, actually. I know he looks like he's 12 years old. He was actually like 32. But um, anyway, um, Ola kept on encouraging me. He kept on saying, Jeremy, keep going. You got this. Drink drink a little bit of ginger tea. Rest a little bit. You're going to be good. Even get a couple hours sleep. You're going to feel a lot better. I've seen this before, he said. So we went to bed at 6 p.m. at the base camp of Kili. So the base camp is like the last stop before you go to the top, all right? And and we went to bed at 6 p.m. It's still light out. I'm sick. I have a headache. All this, and I'm trying to force myself to sleep. And I had one of those little, like, you know, like little eye covers, like what you get on airplanes sometimes, you know. I had one of those, and I'm trying to sleep. And all of a sudden, the alarm goes off three hours later at 9 p.m., We got up, we ate a little like celery soup and a little bit of ginger tea, drank a little ginger tea. And we began our seven plus hour hike through the night to get to the summit. See, the plan was that if we left at 10 p.m., we would arrive somewhere around maybe five or 5.30, maybe six o'clock in the morning. And you're on the summit as you're watching the sun come up. So high, you could see actually the curvature of, of literally the earth. It was it was crazy. And you know what? When I woke up, I felt a little bit better. And I put on my little earbuds and I put in, on um, I, I, I repeat, a, uh, uh, an album from Hillsong called No Other Name. And I just began to just repeat that over and over again. I Had my little walking sticks, I had my head torch on. I mean, I'm all bundled up. We're getting up there and I mean we're getting catatonic and literally swaying and feeling dizzy and the headache is increasing and we just keep going and I keep on looking up and I keep on seeing Ola and Ola is ahead of us and he's just slowly keeping the pace and he'll look back every once in a while see if we're still there and he'll like give a little wave you know what I did for those seven and a half hours all I did was keep my eyes on Ola like I'd look around every once in a while to see the circumstances and see the terrain and the environment. But I just kept my eyes on my guide. The air was so thin, so thin, we were having trouble breathing. Finally, we got to the summit 19,341 feet. And we got there, and here's a picture. This is me at the summit in front of the very famous sign. I'm holding a, holding a picture of my family here. And, and we had made it. I mean, we made it, but can I tell you something? We made it because all I did was follow the advice and the footsteps of my guide. That's it. I followed my guide. I kept my eyes on Ola. You know why? He had taken teams to the summit dozens of times before. I trusted the one who's been there before. I trusted the one that knew what the path looked like. I trusted the one that was, the one that had been to the top and taken others to the top. I trusted him. I didn't trust my own abilities. I didn't trust my own navigation, my own sense of direction. I didn't trust any of that. I just kept my eyes on the guide. Some of you, this is 2020. Just keep your eyes on the guide. Just keep your eyes on the one who knows what's ahead, who has been there before, because the Bible says that God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's been there before. He has been to the top. He knows what you are gonna encounter, what you're encountering now. Just keep your eye on the guide. I know, I know, I know there's all kinds of craziness. I know that 2020 is one big mess of confusion. Just keep your eye on the guide, the perfect guide. Jesus will not always save us from our circumstances, but he will lead us through them. Do you hear that? He's been there before. Some of you, this is like, this is like, I'm talking, this is a now word for you. This isn't like, oh, I came to church today. You're like, holy cow, God is speaking directly to me. Keep your eye on the guide. Just keep your eye on the guide. But where, where's he taking me? I don't know, but he knows where we're going. Just keep your eye on the guide. But, but I don't know. I mean, all these things are happening around me. All these distractions. Yes, but guess what? Just one foot in front of the other, eye on the guide. Eye on the guide. Eye on the guide. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter four, and I close with this. It says, but Jesus, the son of God, is our great high priest, listen, who has gone to heaven itself to help us. So he's not abandoned us, he has gone to help us. Now listen, therefore, let us never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He's been there before since he had the same temptations we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. So let us come boldly into the very throne of God and stay there to receive his mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need. In other words, we have a guide who has been tempted in the same ways that we've been tempted, who has been through the same challenges we're going through, has been through even more challenges. And guess what? He has successfully navigated Billions of people in the last 2,000 years to the top of the mountain He knows the way he knows the path and all we got to do Is in this crazy 2020 and in every year after that by the way, just keep our eyes on the guide He's been there before he will not abandon us He will not leave us In fact, you know what Ola would sometimes slow down his pace because our little crew was struggling. You know what I love about Jesus? Jesus doesn't get a mile ahead of us and turn around and go, hey, would you guys hurry up? But rather, God lovingly will sometimes slow down his pace to help us so that we never lose sight of him, that we're always able to see him. I don't know what you're going through right now, but listen, Jesus, Is right there in the midst of all of the craziness and the confusion and the hurt and the pain. Find him. Keep your eyes on him. Allow him to help you navigate your way through this situation. And if that's you today and you say, That's me, I I want that, I want that. You know what I want to do? I just want us to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And if you say, Jeremy, This was a now word. It was a personal word. I want Jesus to help me get through the chaos and the pain and the frustration and the confusion that I'm presently navigating. I wanna keep my eyes on the guide. I am going to do that. I need that. If that's you and you say, this was for me, just real quickly, just raise your hand and you can put it right back down. Yeah, hands are up everywhere. I guarantee you at every location. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you. I pray that, Lord God, we would realize that you have been through this before. You've been through chaos. You've been through crisis. You've been through pandemics. You've been through all these things. And so therefore, God, we just need to keep our eyes on you. Footstep after footstep, following in your ways. You're never gonna leave us. You're never gonna abandon us. You will never orphan us as your children, but rather instead, God, you will many times even slow down so that we can catch up. You'll encourage us through your word. Today, I pray, may we have a revelation type trust in you. A revelation type trust in you. We love you, Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed still, just for a moment, if you say, I've never accepted Jesus to be the leader and the forgiver of my life, my Lord and my savior, I wanna give you the opportunity to do that real quickly. We're gonna just pray a 30 second prayer. But if you say, today I wanna to make Jesus my leader, my Lord, I wanna ask for forgiveness of all I've done wrong. I want him to be my guide from this day forward for the rest of my life. Heaven as home someday, all my sin forgiven. If that is what you want, I want to pray with you, and at every location right now, just take a moment, and no one's looking, with every head bowed and eye closed, just go ahead and raise your hand and say, that's me. Will you pray for me, Jer? Will you pray with me? Yep. Hands are up. All right, let's do this. Let's all repeat this prayer after me, every one of us, whether we raised our hand or we didn't so that no one feels left out. Jesus, I come to you today, and I declare you to be my guide, to be my leader, to be my Lord. I put you in first place. I ask that you would forgive me of all my sin and all I've done wrong. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for dying for me, and for being with me every step of the way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, amen. Come on, let's give God here a huge round of applause. Can we do that?